following message is by Dr. Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. You know, it's interesting, um, toward the end of December, um, a lot of different media sources put out these year-in-review uh, videos and slideshows. And I think it's telling that a decade ago, it always was like ABC News or CBS News and all of these major networks that were releasing these videos. But uh, in our day, we don't really see that anymore. The videos are coming from Google and Facebook and Tumblr and all these other social media sites which really tells you how much the times have changed in our day. Um, I don't know, I, of all the holidays we celebrate in the course of a year, I think this New Year celebration, if I'm really honest, I, I know I should say it ought to be Christmas and Easter as a pastor, and they are very influential and important holidays to me, but I, to truth be told, I, I find uh, the New Year celebration to have one of the biggest effects on me in terms of the holidays. And maybe it's because I'm such an introvert, and I tend to be very introspective. And it's sort of that, that turning of another year invites introspection, doesn't it? it? It invites us to look at our lives and think about, where am I headed? Where am I going in my life? Um, as many of you know, uh, for five years, our family lived as missionaries in Kenya. This is... Our children, when they were younger, sitting in their backyard on our fence. And, you know, the way that looks, uh, it's a very typical day in where we lived. Uh, we enjoyed the most amazing weather you could ever ask for uh, living in Kenya. Now, a lot of people associate Africa with heat and say, oh, it must have been so hot for you there. Uh, but because we were living up in the mountains... The weather was really mild and almost, except for a few weeks during the rainy season, almost every single day of the year it was 75 degrees and sunny. Okay? Um, you know the weather is good because you basically never think about it. Okay? The temperature inside and outside feel identical. Um, you never stop where we were living and go, man, is it hot today? Or it's so cold, I need a jacket. I mean, you never say that where we were living. And... As wonderful as it was to experience weather like that, uh, eventually a certain uneasiness settled in my heart because of the weather. Now, I don't know if it's because I grew up here in Chicago, and <clears throat> if the weather isn't punishing you in some way or interrupting your plans, you're not even sure you're still alive anymore, right? <clears throat> <clears throat> Sorry. Got a bit of a, of a sore throat. But I think, in truth, the real uneasiness about this amazing weather in Kenya was that every day felt the same. I mean, uh, after a while, all the days sort of blended into what felt like one long, endless, mild summer, okay? And it became actually rather disorienting. Um, it almost felt like time stood still. And as much as I think all of us are with the coming snow today, dreading yet another cold Chicago winter, um, I would argue that these distinct seasons 
that we experience in the Midwest actually are a help to us because they help us to mark the passage of time. Another winter is upon us. It reminds us that time never ceases. It doesn't stop for us, that every moment, in fact, that we're given is a moment given to us by God and ought to be viewed as a precious gift. Psalm 90, verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. I think in even reading these words, there's an implication, isn't there? That it's all too easy to not number our days. To sort of live in this illusion that tomorrow will always come. As if we were going to live on forever in this life. But the truth that this psalmist is calling us to acknowledge is that actually one day will be our last day. That our days are actually numbered. And the wise person is the person that actually acknowledges this. Because without that acknowledgement, you just sort of end up living your life with what's right in front of you in that moment. You're just reacting and living and not really thinking about where is my life headed? What is the trajectory of what I'm living for? And where is all of this headed? And so, just like the seasons that cycle each year, The New Year celebration is an important occasion, I think, for all of us to pause for a moment in our busy lives and reflect on the truth that, in fact, another year has passed by, that we're never going to get back. We're never going to live 2014 again. And so as we say goodbye to 2014, I want us to spend a little time in reflection about this past year. And just sort of ask ourselves, what am I really living for? What is really important to me? What are the things that I really value about my life? And I want to guide you through this bit of reflection today by looking at this parable in Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 27. Jesus says these words, and I want to tell you this. um, I had actually preached on the parallel passage in the Gospel of Luke, uh, back when we were looking at Luke chapter 6, and almost with the same title, you know, of the message today. But I don't know why, but as I was praying about a New Year message, uh, this text just kept coming back to me. And so I really believe that this is something that God has laid on my heart to communicate to you as a church family as we go into this new year. And it it reads... Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray. Father, we open this new year gathered together as your people, and we enter it not knowing what the future holds. 
But we do have the ability to look back and see um, what has happened in this last year. And so with that ability that you've given us to reflect and to remember and to look back, give us that heart of wisdom to number our days and to weigh what is really important, not simply in our eyes, but yours. As we think about being weighed on your scales, uh, may we not be found wanting, but be found pleasing in your eyes. For we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we look at this short parable of building on a rock, building a house on a rock versus building it on the sand, the first observation that I want to make based on this parable is simply that all of us are building our lives on one, <clears throat> on one foundation or another. In other words, <clears throat> just like every house has a foundation, every life has a foundation, whether you realize it or not. In other words, without a foundation, there's, there's nothing to build on. You cannot even build anything. And when I talk about a foundation for your life, what I'm talking about are the core beliefs that drive everything that you do, that explain what you're actually in honesty living for. I want you to think about that for a minute. What are the core beliefs that motivate you for everything you do in your life, that give your life a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning? Now, stated that way, if I were to actually ask you, well, what are your core beliefs? on which you are building a life, um, how would you answer that question? I, I think the truth is most of us would really struggle to answer that question. Um, the foundational beliefs on which we tend to build our lives are so deep that they usually operate at a subconscious level that I don't really even necessarily have easy access to them. I, I can't really lift up the hood of my heart and always be able to see the engine that drives me and causes me to make the choices that I make in my life. Um, and so the truth is, for probably many of us, we don't even know necessarily what those foundational truths may be. Now, Having said that, I know that the knee-jerk reaction for most of us in this room is to say, well, it's Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. He is at the foundation of all of my beliefs. It's my belief in Jesus. And that very well may be true. But I also want to argue that I think that answer comes out very easily from our lips because we know that as Christians... That's the answer we're supposed to give, right? I mean, after all, I'm here in church today, aren't I? Why else would I be here if it isn't Jesus? But the truth is that we can say that we believe a lot of things with our lips. But the truth is that our actions may reveal quite a different story. Um, And so I want to ask you that again. What are the core foundational beliefs that drive your life, that cause you to make the choices that you make in your life? Um, 
Because I think the truth is, even as Christians, there is a real battle within our hearts for this foundation. The truth is that if you were to reflect on this past year, for some of you, you may have to be honest and say, the choices that I made in my life were actually largely driven by my fear of what others think of me or my fear of failure. In other words, some of your core beliefs are that your worth as a person depends on your performance or on acceptance of others. Or maybe if you were really honest and thought about the choices you made in 2014, you would have to acknowledge that finances were a heavy factor in many of the decisions that you've made. And whether you are able to admit it or not, maybe one of your core beliefs is that money is the path to true happiness. You see, we have to really look at our behaviors, look at the choices that we make to really reveal what are the beliefs that are really driving and guiding my life. What are the thoughts that have consumed you in 2014? What are your current obsessions? The things that, if taken away from you, would make you feel like life just wasn't worth living anymore? In other words, what is your foundation on which you are building I think another aspect of Jesus using this language of foundation talks about how important this matter of faith becomes. Because the truth is, I think for a lot of Americans, it's very easy to see our religious choices as almost being trivialized. Sort of like on the census surveys, whether you tick off Democrat or Republican, you know, what's your political affiliation? Well, I'm a Protestant, you know, it's, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an evangelical Christian. But what Jesus seems to be pointing at it saying, listen, this choice that you're making about faith and God and my teaching, it's at the most root level of your life. These are not trivial matters like where you happen to plant yourself on a Sunday morning. What it's saying is how you ultimately make that call about my teaching is going to determine your destiny. It is the foundation on which everything else about money and career and family and love and romance and entertainment and the whole package, the house, in other words, the house that you're building, everything depends on the foundation that you've laid for yourself. Now, this connection between our beliefs and how we actually live our lives, in other words, our actions, is absolutely critical to the understanding of this parable. And that's what I want to focus on primarily this morning. In verse 24, <clears throat> everyone then who hears these words of mine, and what? And does them, will be a wise man who built his, who built his house on the rock. In other words, the difference between the person who built on the sand and who built on the rock is not about some religious beliefs locked up in your head, some theoretical, theoretical concepts about God. It says that the key difference between these two people, they both heard my message. They both heard the gospel. 
But the litmus test that distinguished these two people is whether they acted on them, whether that hearing led to obedience, whether, in other words, their lives were different. In other words, what Jesus is saying is one person heard these words and responded to them in action, in obedience. The other person heard these words but walked away with their life unchanged. And so one built on the rock and one built on the sand. In other words, another way you could say it is this. Our actions reveal our true beliefs. Our actions reveal our true beliefs. You know, um, when I, as a pastor, when I counsel struggling Christians, a common theme that often will come up, it's sort of phrase something like this, is like... Um, I'm really struggling to get my life to line up with what I really believe. And uh, so I'm trying. I'm trying really hard to change the way I'm acting right now so that it really is in line with what I believe. Now, there may be some truth to that perspective, but I think the more disturbing truth is actually this, that generally speaking... You cannot help but act in accordance with your beliefs. That the truth is, you almost always act in alignment with your beliefs. Um, listen, if I believed that Helen Keller Jr. High was on fire right now, let's say there was a fire that's going on right now on the west end of this building, and that all of our lives were in imminent danger. I guarantee you that if I really believed that at this moment, you better believe I would do everything I could to evacuate this building and get us out of here before we all get burned alive. And wouldn't all of you do the same if you actually believed this building was on fire? I, I don't think that that action of fleeing here would have to be something you'd have to work very hard at doing, would you? Because out of that belief that the building is on fire, the action will flow pretty naturally as to what you ought to do. Some of you are parents in this room. If your child believes that there are monsters in her room when she goes to bed at night, I guarantee you that her behavior will be in accordance with those beliefs. In other words, she is not going to have to try hard to make her palm sweat or to heart, have her heart pound like it's coming out of her chest. And probably before long, what's going to happen is she's going to wind up in your bed, isn't she? You see, again, there are monsters under my bed. That's the belief. And there is a whole set of actions that flow out of that belief. In fact, that cycle of that daughter ending up in your bedroom every night will probably go on for the foreseeable future until you can actually convince her that there are no monsters under her bed or waiting for her in the closet the moment you turn off the lights and shut that door, right? You see, until you can actually modify that belief in monsters, 
She's just going to keep behaving the same way, night after night after night, when darkness comes. Well, if this is true of a fire in the building or monsters under our bed, then the question is this. What do our actions say about our beliefs regarding God and the teachings of Jesus Christ? Dallas Willard says, Concretely, we intend to live in the kingdom of God by intending to obey the precise example and teachings of Jesus. This is the form that trust in him takes. It does not take the form of merely believing things about him, however true they may be. Indeed, no one can actually believe the truth about him without trusting him by intending to obey him. It is a mental impossibility. So Willard is just driving that point. If you really say that you believe in Jesus, you believe in his teachings, actions have to flow out of that. You cannot separate the two. It makes no sense. It's nonsensical to say that you actually believe Jesus at his word and yet live your life in complete opposition to that profession. Willard goes on. Gandhi, who had looked closely at Christianity as practice around him in Great Britain, remarked that if only Christians would live according to their belief in the teachings of Jesus, quote, we all would become Christians, unquote. We know what he meant, and he was right in that. But the dismaying truth is that Christians were living according to their belief in the teachings of Jesus. They didn't believe him. Perhaps the hardest thing for sincere Christians to come to grips with is the level of real unbelief in their own life. The unformulated skepticism about Jesus that permeates all dimensions of their being and undermines what efforts they do make toward Christ-likeness. The implication of Willard's words are disturbing, aren't they? If, generally speaking, we always act in accordance with our true beliefs, what does our life reveal about those beliefs? And all of that raises another disturbing question, which is this. Why aren't we more disturbed by this disconnect between our actions and our stated beliefs? No. I think all of us would acknowledge that we profess to believe in a lot of things. And yet, when we, if our life were to be evaluated solely by our actions, I think a lot of observers would have a problem with that. Saying, you say one thing, but when push comes to shove and you're at the crossroads in your life, you actually choose the other. The question is, why doesn't this bother us more? And what I would argue is the reason why we're not bothered more is the amazing capacity of the human spirit to deceive ourselves. In other words, I think there's this enormous human tendency to give ourselves far more credit for obeying God than is actually warranted. 
In other words, what I'm saying is, is this. You don't actually have to obey the teachings of Jesus to feel like you're obeying the teachings of Jesus. There are many mental games that we play with ourselves to actually feel rather good about ourselves and feel like, it's okay, I'm doing fine, it's good enough. Um, listen, uh, let me give you a few examples of this in, outside of the realm of religion. I actually fancy myself to be somewhat of a chef, a far more accomplished chef than is actually warranted. Okay? Now, I feel like I can actually cook some decent dishes, but I don't know because all I ever cook for is my family. And my kids seem to like whatever I put in front of them. But even when I dramatically change the recipe, they can never tell the difference. You know? I say, so what do you think? I say, tastes the same as the last time that you made it. Um, the truth is this. I have some pretty amazing and complicated recipes in my little file of recipes from some pretty celebrity chefs. And I intend to try them all one day. But the truth is, I've only actually made a fraction of them. But it makes me feel chefy, you know, to have all those recipes, knowing that one day I'm going to make them. And the truth is, I have some pretty cool and sophisticated kitchen gadgets that I've bought over the years. The kind of stuff that typically only professional chefs have in their kitchen. How many of you have a meat perforator in your cabinet or a brulee torch? Um, and the truth is, I watch a lot of cooking shows. So I can tell you the difference between brown butter and clarified butter. I can tell you what it means to sous vide something or to poach it. Or the difference between a profiterole and a Napoleon. I know all of this. And so all of this to say, I kind of feel chefy, you know? But the truth is this. If you plopped a duck breast in front of me and asked me to make something gourmet out of it, I would be at a loss as to where to even begin with that duck breast. You know, you don't necessarily have to get serious about exercising in order to make you feel like you're making an effort to get into shape. Do you? You don't, do you? All you actually have to do is buy the treadmill <laughs> and intend to start using it any day now, right? And that's good enough for most of us because I made the effort. I went all the way to Walmart or Sports Authority or wherever, and I, I bought this thing. They make amazing hangers for drying clothes, don't they? And I think we've all seen this scene somewhere, right? I, one guy gave up any pretense that he was ever going to use it for exercise, and he put a mattress on it and started using it as a bed frame, you know? And he just slept on his treadmill. Um, you see, we fool ourselves like this all the time. You, you only have to eat a salad every few weeks instead of having that hamburger in order to make you feel like you're trying to stick with your diet, right? Never mind the cookie and pie that you ate last night, right? Because tomorrow you're going to eat that salad, right? 
You see, this is the enormous capacity of the human mind to lie to ourselves. Whether it's rationalization or denial or exaggeration or minimization or procrastination, our ability to lie to ourselves is far greater than any of us care to admit or acknowledge. And the same is true, I would argue, when it comes to following Christ's commands. We can fool ourselves into thinking that simply agreeing with what we hear every Sunday behind this pulpit is the same as obeying it. Oh yeah, I mean, amen, preacher. Pretty much everything you said today, I say an amen to. I agree. But that is not the same as obedience. Our intention to obey these teachings, right? Any day now, right? Can feel like obedience as well. Because I know that these things would not be true of my life today, but I really earnestly mean it. I'm going to start living that out tomorrow. After I just deal with this stuff today. But as Jesus points out, True faith is expressed through obedience. And obedience is expressed through action. In other words, intellectual agreement or good intentions are not the same as obedience. Now, when you think about New Year's resolutions, they typically have a flavor of sort of a call to action, right? It's like January 1st. And I wasn't so happy about my performance in last year. So I'm going to get my act together. And I'm going to finally take action. Action on something I've been putting off too long. So 2015, I'm going to finally lose that weight. Or I'm going to finally finish that coursework that I started years ago. If it kills me this year. And so out of that kind of spirit, it would be very easy to hear everything that I'm saying up to this point, especially this last statement on how obedience must be expressed in action and therefore think in your heads, okay, well, my New Year's resolution will be to be more obedient and to take action to the teachings of Christ. Now, again, there is probably arguably some dimension of truth to that but I don't think that, has, that ought to be our starting point in a New Year resolution for us as a church family. In other words, I don't think it should be 2015 is going to be the year that I really get serious about my faith and start obeying the things that I'm learning every week here at, CFC, at ICC. I mean, that's not the resolution for us this year. Instead, my prayer is this, that 2015 will be a year in which your faith in God grows in some deep and personal ways. And out of the foundation of this belief, genuine trust in God, in other words, the steps or actions will flow naturally. That is my prayer for us as a church family. 
It is not about behavior modification or trying harder. It is growing in faith so that the things that I profess I believe, I actually believe. And out of that belief, out of that trust, out of that faith will flow the radical life of obedience that God demands. Because I actually genuinely believe these things. Greg Tanelshoff says this, with very few exceptions, no one has any trouble acting out their beliefs. You do act in accordance with your beliefs. More likely, you just don't believe what you've thought of yourself as believing. Rather than trying to work up behavior consistent with what we think we believe, we should be begging with the man who wanted desperately for Jesus to free his son from the demon that possessed him, I believe, help my unbelief. That is our prayer for 2015. I believe, but God, that belief is pretty weak. Help my unbelief. You see, we need God's help. If it was just behavior modification, you could probably do something without God. You don't even need God in that picture. Plenty of non-Christians pursue the project of self-improvement. You don't need faith for that. But belief, that's tricky, isn't it? That feels a little helpless because... Let me put it to you like this. I will wager $1,000 of my own money to the first person who believes there's an 800-pound pink bunny outside these doors. It's, here's for your, it's, it's here for your taking. First one, just claim that prize. $1,000. could help you a lot with the Christmas bills you accrued, right? See, none of you can do it. Even if you wanted that $1,000, you cannot force yourself to believe that there's an 800-pound pink bunny out there, right? It just doesn't work that way, does it? Right? When it comes to belief, we need God's help. God, I believe. I'm, at least I'm trying to believe. Help my unbelief. And in that, we don't have to be fatalistic. Because there are steps we can take to grow our faith. As we pray and seek him, God says, seek me and you will find me if you seek me with all of your heart. And that is my hope for 2015, for all of us. Not to take on a self-improvement project, to try to be a better Christian, by showing up to church more regularly, giving more money, reading my Bible, having quiet time. Let's not start there with the behavior. Let's start with the belief and have some real honest moments with ourselves as we reflect on this past year. What do I actually really believe about God and my life and reality? And then to make that our prayer, God, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. My faith is so weak. I feel the pull of the world. And I feel so tempted toward these things. And you seem so small and insignificant. But become larger in my life. 
that out of that true understanding, my actions will follow. The truth is this. You can build on that sand for a long time and not really realize it. As the parable closes, it says, you don't know until the storm comes and you're staring down the barrel of that gun where your foundation in life really is. Because when things are going good, frankly, you can build on any flimsy foundation you want. It really doesn't matter when times are good, right? I mean, adopt whatever life philosophy that works for you. And as long as life is good, why do you care, right? I mean, why not rally around the mantra, you know, live and be merry. Because tomorrow we die, right? But what Jesus says is, one day, a storm is going to come. Because storms in life always come. One day, you're going to be staring down the barrel of that gun. And in that moment, it may be too late for you to realize that the foundation you've been building your entire life on crumbles under your feet. And there is nothing to catch you when you fall. But here is the promise of the gospel. And I'll just close with this. Christ says, in me alone can you find a foundation that is secure enough on which to build a meaningful life. Whatever you think defines your happiness, whatever bill of goods you've been sold to say that's the good life, Christ says, I alone can provide that foundation that is going to enable you to ride any storm in life because I will always be with you. Let's pray. As we think about 2015, I again want to simply invite you to a brief time of reflection. We've closed out another year, another year we can never get back. And it reminds us our days are numbered. We don't have forever in this life. Every day is a gift from God. But the real danger in life is that you can live in denial of our mortality and just live for what is right in front of you. And like I said, many Christians will frame our struggle towards spiritual maturity as, gosh, you know, I just really want to actually have my actions follow what I say I really believe. But we cannot get there by trying to change the behavior. Because the truth is, you're always going to act in accordance with your beliefs. The real question is, what do I really believe about my life and about God and the good life? And Christ says, it's in me. It's all in me. I alone can provide a foundation solid enough on which to build a life that can weather any storm and endure any trial and lead you into eternity. And so can I just challenge some of you in this room to maybe acknowledge that I profess one thing with my lips and I publicly declare one set of truths 
But if I were really to be honest with the choices that I've made this past year, the things that fuel my passions, the things that make me feel like life is worth living, I'd have to be honest and say, I don't always root those things in my relationship with God. And so maybe as we turn over another year, this could just be an invitation to all of us to think about the foundation on which we're building our house. Maybe for some of us, part of looking at that hard truth is going to be acknowledging, man, you know, I feel like I'm building on sand. I feel like the ground beneath me is crumbling. And I want the sure footing that Christ alone can provide. Like I said, we deceive ourselves in giving ourselves far more credit than is probably warranted because a lot of things can look like obedience but are not true obedience. All the best intentions in the world are not obedience. All the intellectual agreement with the tenets of Christianity are not obedience. Obedience is expressed in a life of surrender given to God out of faith that He is who He says He is. And his promises are true. So let's lean on those promises this morning and say the prayer of that man who cried out to Christ, I believe, I believe. Help my unbelief. Would you just meditate on that for a few minutes? And I'm going to invite our worship team to come and just give us, lead us into a time of response through these songs as we seek him. Mm -hmm.